Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean Mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive always, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic, any time. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co and follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end. We're actually, in this case, going to make a really interesting, uh, fun announcement and give you an opportunity for some exciting uh, offers. And please, please feel free to share this with others who you know will find it of interest. So I want to introduce today somebody who I've is a true visionary, a critical thinker, and in so many ways who seems to me to have endless boundaries. We probably met about 15 years ago, and he's become a good friend, um, someone who I really enjoy speaking with and being in touch with. And when I'm with him and when I'm speaking to him, I realize how much I miss out on not doing it more often. And I wish you could all be flies on the wall in these really engaging conversations, mostly from for his insight. So that's what I'm excited to share uh, to share with you all today, to let you hear a really important voice here in Israel. Um, this is not only recent, but this is something I've felt for a long time. Um, he's known as a successful professional. He's a family man, and he's involved in a wide range of philanthropic interests as well. And today we're going to be discussing probably one of the most I don't know, heady and broad, but so important topics, the future of Israel. Now, we can go in a lot of directions, and I'm excited to see which direction it's going to go. And it's so appropriate now, even though I've loved to have had this conversation before, we've spoken about it, it's appropriate now that we have this conversation about Israel's future in Israel's 75th year. We're going to discuss general terms. I hope you'll be in touch with other questions and comments. Shlomo Lazar is a 51-year-old husband father of eight, and grandfather to four so far. He's a Zionist-focused social entrepreneur and chairman of IQG Partners, a holding company focused on the financial services and logistics sectors. Previously, Shlomo served as managing director of Wilshire Consulting International, a global financial services uh, company that services over 500 organizations in more than 20 countries with combined assets exceeding $7 trillion. He spearheaded the company's growth outside the U.S. and Canadian markets. And prior to that, he held senior management positions at Morgan Stanley, Refco, and Merrill Lynch, to name a few. His analytical skills serve him very well in his career, and he's applied this to his life in general, specifically relating to life here in Israel and the Middle East. Shlomo has an undergraduate degree in business administration from York University in Toronto, and pursued graduate studies at Harvard. When he left Wall Street to establish his own platform with his partners, he dedicated his time to leverage his business leadership experience and collaborate with other Zionist-focused social entrepreneurs. His goal, pretty much everything that he does, is to make a meaningful impact on the future 
of the exciting, awe-inspiring, and peace-loving Zionist enterprise by implementing practical and achievable solutions. And that's one of the reasons why speaking about the future of Israel is so relevant with him and so relevant today. The overarching theme, or if you will come a denominator of his and his partner's social entrepreneurship endeavors is the unification of Israel's diverse groups, leveraging the religious, political, and business realms. I've always been privileged uh, that he has brought me uh, in to seek my input from time to time on some of these projects. And I'm always overwhelmed by how much time he devotes to things that are so thoughtful and impactful. By full disclosure, when I started the Genesis 123 Foundation, I went to Shlomo for his counsel. He was thoughtful and gracious as he always is, and since then has been serving on the advisory board of the Genesis 123 Foundation. And today we're just going to scratch the surface of some of the critical issues in and around Israel. But I really want you to stay tuned till the end. I always do. I always want you to stay tuned to the end of our programs. We have great conversations. But today there's going to be a very special, important topic relating to the future of Israel in a way that you will not imagine and which I promise you you're not going to want to miss. Because of his background, his broad worldview, and the conversation we're about to have, I'm excited to share with you how and why Shlomo is a good friend and how I'm really lucky to have him, we're lucky to have him as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation. Shlomo, welcome to the Inspiration from Zion podcast. It's great to see you. Thank you, Jonathan. Great to be here. Yeah, so actually I'm seeing you. Everyone who follows knows that I like to record by video, but you're just getting to listen to the audio. So Shlomo, to give some personal background above and beyond the the formal introduction, I know you were born here in Israel. Um, your family has deep roots here in Israel, but you grew up in Canada. And I wanted to, you, you came back to Israel around the same time that I did. I, I wanted just to give our audience a sense for what motivated that. You came back, you left Israel as a child, you came back as an adult and as a parent. What was, what motivated that? All right. So um, we, um, we originally came uh, to really give our children a chance to experience uh, Israel as a country and, uh, and really impressed on them. Uh, the historical significance of what we're going through uh, today. And uh, the original idea was really to come for a year, possibly two years. Um, my business was such that I was able to uh, to really uh, juggle that. Uh, a lot of my business was international, so that worked out uh, functionally. Uh, so we had that, um, you know, that, that special uh, ability with I mean, some others uh, wouldn't do uh, to to really spend um, that, that year or two uh, in Israel, uh, we we came uh, and loved it. Uh, right, uh, it was uh, really a unique first year uh, in Jerusalem, uh, and we were able to crisscross the country in only the way a family that's in Israel for the first year uh, can do. I, I wish we could do it. <laughs> but somehow uh, right. it never happens. Uh, right. The first year is always uh, that uh, that magical um, year where you just care less about the kids going to school and a lot more about enjoying the country. Uh, and um, you know, my wife and I at the end of that year uh, made a list of pros and cons, um, and the lists on the pro to stay a second year 
uh, was as long as our arm. And, uh, <laughs> and the reasons uh, not to stay was, uh, um, was very minimal. So uh, uh, we uh, uh, we made that decision um, and stayed a second year. Uh, we we did go back into the States for, for a little bit of a longer summer than uh, we expected, but we ended up coming for a uh, second year. Uh, and um, that... Uh, uh, that year really cemented uh, a theme that really gave us no other, um, uh, made our decision very uh, easy, right? That, that second year really uh, impressed on us how we're part of uh, history, right? Uh, whether religious or secular, uh, over the next, um, you know, let's say in 500 years from now, when the history of the Jews is written, um, and really the history of the world in many ways is written, um, but certainly for the Jewish people, uh, the population and the people in Israel today are going to be the theme, right? Um, th that is going to be um, the um, core part of the of, um, of the Jewish um, uh, story um, uh, over the next hundreds of years. And this really, this first being part of this first hundred hundred years. Um, uh, uh, we wanted to not only experience it, but we wanted, you know, we wanted to feel that we were part of that um, historic moment um, uh, in Jewish history, and not be a um, asterisk, right? Um, uh, yes. as, as amazing as the Jewish di diaspora is, and they really are. Um, uh, when the, the history of the Jews is going to be written, at least for this hundred-year period, um, uh, almost every other Jewish community, even the biggest ones, are going to be a notation, right? Uh, if a chapter. Possibly, but most likely a notation in history, while the Jews uh, living here and that came back uh, to this nation um, and this country uh, are going to be part of that uh, that book, right? Um, certainly that chapter, um, and uh, so we're excited to be part of it. Yeah, you know what? And you said that so well. I'm nodding actively. Um, I want to transcribe that and put it in words because I it, it exactly sums up my feelings, and you expressed it so concisely and so you're back and you're here and you and I have been weaving things back and forth together in our lives and uh, over the last uh, decade decade and a half and uh, and you're involved in a lot of things so today now our our families are firmly entrenched here when we talk about the future of Israel you see it through your children I see it through my children and we're both blessed to see it through our Israeli born grandchildren um but you're also involved in a lot of bigger picture issues, uh, and not that our families are not. They're the most important. One of them, which you and I have spent probably the most time talking, and it's been so provocative, and it, it is, is a whole structure to create a formal peace plan here for Israel and the Middle East. And I want to get into that with you, but I want to note what's so important is that you've been doing this for several years, and we'll talk about the uh, Abraham Accords, but your initiative preceded the Abraham Accords. And yet you, well, I don't want to give away too much, let you talk about it, but you already had a little bit of influence among the people who were um, uh, pivotal to the Abraham Accords. T tell us how you started in that. Are you just sitting around with friends one day having a conversation? Where did that come from? All right, so... Yeah, I'm fortunate to have amongst you um, many other very um, deep-thinking uh, neighbors um, and friends 
Uh, it's really an amazing um, group of, uh, of people. And uh, but so, you know, we, uh, being part of this unique time, uh, clearly um, have an opinion about how to really tackle uh, certain issues that uh, we're all um, experiencing here in Israel. Um, I, I will note that it always seems worse in some ways uh, when uh, you're reading the news and you're listening to the news outside of Israel than when you're in Israel. Uh, the people living here, thankfully, for the most part, are having a very tranquil, um, enjoyable, uh, uplifting life experience. Um, um, and there's always uh, issues that uh, problems that come up, but uh, they somehow seem magnified when you're listening to it on the news. But nonetheless, they are real, right? And they are issues. Um, and uh, and the two that uh, that uh, have really spoken to me in terms of trying to uh, tackle um, has been the issue of uh, unifying and trying to find uh, strains of uh, common um, uh, denominators um, uh, amongst a nation to really bring us closer together because uh, we, when the when the going gets tough, I don't think there's I think there's very few nations that come together as we do. But uh, on the day to day, um, as anybody that reads the news uh, sees, there's a, a lot of discord among the different factions, if you want to call it factions, of the right. uh, in, in the country. So um, that's one issue, and we can get into that um, uh, you know, perhaps a bit later. Yes. The second is a glaring you know um, issue which you you brought up a moment ago, which is uh, the um, uh, the challenge we have with um, uh, both our regional neighbors and um, and uh, some of the um, uh, as I call them cousins, uh, but really the the the, uh, the Arab um, uh, community um, uh, in the uh, in Judean in Judea and Samaria, right? Uh, and um, we don't see um, the solutions as being um, as big of a challenge as world leaders seem to uh, to make it. I, I think uh, there are some very uh, tangible, real solutions. If there's a political will, um, uh, we believe that the um, grassroots people um, will come um, behind it, uh, not only uh, amongst the, the Jews and the Jewish um, population, um, but also the regional Arab um, uh, um, population, uh, and uh, even the uh, the local um, uh, Palestinian uh, population. Uh, so we had ideas. Um, uh, we thought they were very functional, but we didn't think they were functional within the um, political environment uh, that existed until the Trump administration um, came uh, to being. Uh, and we see that on that opportunity. Uh, and we see that very quickly. Uh, uh, we saw opportunity, and not to say the previous president's um, uh, whether it be Democrat or Republican, um, weren't um, major supporters of Israel. They they were almost to the last one, um, some more than others. Um, but uh, but certainly um, uh, all very much uh, cared about the uh, security uh, and the success of Israel. But um, <clears throat> Trump uh, and his administration in particular were unique. Um, and I underline the word administration. Um, wow, good. The people um, uh, that President Trump had around him not only cared and loved 
um, Israel, but they understood the nuances. And I, and I think that's really the most important element, right? The, the nuances, which uh, a lot of um, uh, world leaders, um, uh, as good as their intentions might be, and I, and I believe with uh, obviously some exceptions, um, all really do want to you know, bring peace to the region. But there's nuances in any conflict. And in, in this particular conflict, there's nuances upon nuances upon nuances. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and, and I truly believe that uh, um, the diplomats um, involved um, in um, negotiating um, uh, the, uh, you know, or trying to negotiate an agreement um, miss some of those nuances um, that, uh, um, and again, some of them are extremely bright, many of which we'll talk about in a moment, um, uh, I've gotten to know and are really very versed um, in all the technicals, right, and uh, hearing all the sides. But it's those nuances, right, um, that uh, um, uh, people like Gerald, uh, Jared Kushner, and Ambassador Friedman, and many others, and really, when I say many others, uh, you know, I, I'm not understating, right? Because the people um, that uh, um, both Kushner and Friedman and others brought under them uh, were also people that uh, grew up with the uh, with Israel in their blood, right? That they, they were um, they were brought up um, either partially in Israel, partially in the U.S., and many of them not in Israel at all, but went to the Jewish day school system. And, uh, and came to visit Israel as children, as teenagers, as young adults, and then eventually as professionals. Um, and they picked up on things um, that uh, I just think are almost impossible um, for anybody that doesn't go through that life cycle experience, um, uh, um, celebrating and experiencing Israel as they did. Uh, and we see the results, right? Um, uh, they were able to cut through a tremendous amount of, um, you want to call it red tape, right? but you can call it whatever you'd like to call it, but they were able to get right to the core of the issue. Yeah. But not only the Jewish people were able to understand, but at the end of the day, the Muslim and Arab community were able to understand. Right? Because what you observed is our being here, you see the nuance and you see that there, it's not pie in the sky issues. There are real issues, but they're issues that are, that are um, manageable. The issues that are addressable and our Arab neighbors can also relate to that. It's not, we're not, one of the things that's so beautiful, I, I think it's correct, Jared Kushner, David Friedman, yourself, myself, I, I suspect everyone who's had their hands on, on, on involvement with this concept, the proposal which came up, are right of center politically. But you didn't allow ideology to trump practicality. You you came up with a really solid solution that wasn't ideological based, but practical. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, and I'm happy to touch on it. There are certain things I, I can't really share and uh, to be sensitive um, uh, yes. uh, for, for various reasons. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. So, I mean, we have, you know, we, we had very practical uh, solutions, many of which, um, you know, I don't want to say um, uh, um, were integral to the Abrams Accord, but at the end of the day, were brought up to all the people that negotiated um, that ah, good. court, and um, and again, it's those nuances that we believe um, uh, um, came into play and helped them um, really um, foment, um, builds, um, structure, and engineer um, uh, the plan that, that ultimately uh, came about. Um, uh, we we truly believe, really truly believe that if uh, if uh, the Trump administration was around for another four. 
years. And again, it's it's not to say um, uh, any administration is different than um, uh, any president is different than others, because no one really was able to break through, um, Republican or Democrat. It's really those people underneath um, in, in the Trump administration that made all the difference in the world. So if President Biden came into power um, uh, and brought the same team, yeah. um, or at least you know part of the same team in, I think we could you know we could have we could have had today Excellent. Uh, really a very holistic. Uh, when I say holistic, not just the peace agreement with our wider um, neighbors, right? But even the Palestinians, um, because our you know our plan, if you will, um, uh, and it is a plan, uh, really goes to the heart of certain issues. And, and, so, and those Shlomo, issues. let's let's take a, a, a half a minute break. I want to hear some of those core issues. But I want to I want to just take a quick break and we'll come back and then and then listen. For most of us, the covid pandemic is behind us, but there are still opportunities that you may not know about that can help you, your church, other nonprofit or business. The Employee Retention Tax Credit, ERTC, is important for all employers to explore and potentially receive a significant financial credit for having retained employees during the COVID shutdowns and business disruptions. If you have not already applied to receive the ERTC, part of the U.S. CARES Act for your church, nonprofit, or business, please reach out to my friend, Liz Browser, who can help you. Liz is from Sheridan Wealth Advisors, a boutique tax advisory firm based in Miami. She provides honest and customized concierge service with a strong specialty in nonprofit and faith-based organizations. On top of being a great professional, Liz is really one of the good guys. She embraces the importance of building bridges between Jews and Christians. It's personal, so much so that she and Sheridan Wealth Advisors will donate a portion of their income to support the Genesis 123 Foundation in building bridges between Jews and Christians. It's what I call a win-win-win-win. Reach out to Liz directly in the U.S. at 954-258-6097, 954-258-6097, or email at liz at sheridanadvisors.com. Okay, Shlomo, yeah, pivotal. Let's let's use, let's obviously the things and, and conversations that you can't disclose, and it would be inappropriate on all levels, but but illustrate some of those. What are the what were the core issues, and how were they not not to take credit, but you or influencing or not influencing? But what did you come up with? I mean, it was a great, it was a great process and a great thought thoughtful document. Right. So my uh, background um, is uh, Wall Street finance, um, and uh, uh, when everything's said and done, uh, this conflict. Uh, and like almost any other conflict, um, uh, there's an economic and financial stream very much running um, uh, um, underneath it, right? Uh, and the, the, the politicians and the leaders and uh, and so on, uh, it, it doesn't behoove them to get into that, right? The, the, their job is to win elections or their job is to stay in power. Uh, and talking about such mundane uh, issues as um, as uh, dollar and cents um, uh, makes very little um, uh, uh, constructive sense to them for, for their goal. Um, 
And uh, so that is one main element um, uh, that uh, um, we decided to bring into the table. Um, and uh, the second, uh, really, um, uh, there's a third as well, but really two core um, is the economic element. I can get into uh, a bit more detail there. Uh, and the second, which really um, uh, surprised me and surprised my group, um, how it, pivotal it was. We knew it was pivotal and we addressed it, um, but we, we just didn't realize how pivotal of an um, issue it was, um, was the Temple Mount, right? I, everybody knows the Temple Mount is the most um, sought after uh, uh, piece of uh, land uh, perhaps on the globe. Um, and uh, But the, the deep feelings that the um, Muslim world have towards it um, is one that until we, we got involved in the process, uh, we felt was a bit abstract. Um, and uh, we learned very quickly that uh, if we could solve that particular uh, issue uh, and challenge, uh, that really no politician has been able to uh, to conquer um, uh, since uh, 1967. Uh, that, well, when you uh, talk issue, not because you just use two words, conquer and and Temple Mount. We're not talking about the physical conquering. We're talking about overcoming the issue surrounding it. Yeah, well, the, the physical conquering, uh, you know, might not be politically correct. I mean, Israel, you know, didn't conquer; it reclaimed. Right. right. Uh, and I think that that's a very important point. Um, right. They reclaimed uh, um, not only the Temple Mount but all of Judea and Samaria. And yeah, that's a that's not so much of a nuance, but a fact. Uh, that a lot of politicians, and I, and I, I think it plays into getting to the, you know, a little bit more of the details on the, the economics and the Temple Mount, but I think it's, uh, it's very important to reiterate to some of your listeners and to perhaps introduce um, something new to others uh, that shouldn't be new, but it is, uh, would probably be new to 99% plus of, um, of the world population that follows um, this conflict. Uh, is that um, according to international law, right? And this is not disputed. It's, it's something that might not be liked by, uh, by everybody. I'm uh, to be reminded of. But the last time there was any actual international uh, law um, uh, uh, that was uh, affirmed by, um, uh, by the community of nations uh, was at San Remo, San Remo, right? Um, uh, In 1920. 1920, uh, you might be right. I think it was 1921, but it's possible it was 1920. But it was uh, certainly in the early 1920s. And you, you, Jonathan, you, you probably are right. That I think it's a, that's less of an issue, the technical element of it, right? right? But it was, um, uh, but right after World War One, right? Uh, we, we we saw a scenario which is just phenomenal, right? What is that scenario? A scenario where for hundreds of years, really effectively thousands of years, right? You had uh, Muslim rule um, in um, uh, what we knew back then as Palestine, right? Uh, and th there were some breaks in there where the, the, the Christian community um, uh, um, uh, took over Jerusalem, but for the most part, it was a Muslim-controlled um, um, city. Uh, and, you know, when Herzl and the early Zionists uh, started on their enterprise, uh, there was no possibility that anybody um, uh, could see uh, where we would, we the Jewish people would ever be able to really have sovereignty. It was a nice notion. It was something that they they started pursuing, but um, uh, I think at best they were hoping 
and that they could continue buying land in Israel and, and uh, living under Turkish rule. If you want to, I don't, I don't know what else you would call a miracle, uh, right? If, if not this, right? But the Zionist enterprise starts in the early 19, effectively in the early 1900s, uh, right? So you have 1897, the first Zionist Congress, but effectively early 1900s, it picks up steam. And within a handful of years, right? Uh, World War One breaks out. The Christian community in, in the form of Britain um, uh, takes over um, uh, the land of Palestine. And who happens to be sitting in the foreign office if not a Christian evangelist, right? Correct. I mean, one, of the, one of the most passionate in, in, in the form of Balfour. Uh, and uh, so we have the most improbable scenario where for thousands of years, there was no probability. Um, the Zionist enterprise starts. In, in a handful of years, um, a, a, um, a, a friendly, a relatively friendly country takes over um, the, the land where the possibility opens. And you have, the, in my view, and I don't, don't see any other way to look at it, a miraculous event where you have a, a beautiful Christian evangelist sitting in the, in, in, in the power seat. Um, yep. uh, of that decision-making process, right? Now there's a lot of technical with Rothschild and, and Chaim Weizmann and so on, which we won't get into today, right? But all those came to play into a perfectly constructed puzzle where um, uh, the Balfour Declaration is presented. St. Remo, um, again, without getting into the details today because of our time constraint, uh, ratifies it, right? Correct. Like the League of Nations, Correct. right? Um, uh, the, the precursor of the UN, right? And that was the last time the world came together in a in an organized fashion to vote on this piece of land, and uh, um, and let's just remember it was both sides of the Jordan. We won't revisit that. There's no reason to revisit it's not the that point. Not the side of the Jordan, right? right? But but certainly certainly, right? The border that we see today in Israel, right, including Judea Samaria, right, which is really the biblical heartland of uh, of um, of the Jewish nation, that was all reclaimed, all right? So it was reclaimed biblically, but if we want to kind of get technical about it, it was reclaimed under the same Remo um, uh, um, uh, resolution, uh, right. which, and the UN adopted all League of Nations resolutions, right? Now, they did try to change that. In 1947, the Arabs didn't accept it, so it was never adopted, right? So the last, we had to go back all the way to St. Remo all right. So, and that's very, very important for all listeners to understand, right? The baseline, right, of any discussion has to sit on the pedestal of the St. Remo um, conference and, um, and resolution, right? Um, and that is that Judea and Samaria and the rest of Israel, all the same, there's no distinction between any of them, um, are, were, were ratified to be a Jewish homeland. Period. Stop. No other discussion. Right, and that has not so, been abrogated or changed or undone since 1920. No, no, okay. right. I mean that there were resolutions that um, uh, you know how to potentially handle the Palestinian cause never, never um, uh, put into into action yet. Right, it was it, 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 sure it, 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 it simply outlines. Right, so we have to really understand that. Okay, if we're going to try to tackle this issue. We have to understand that anything that the Jewish people give, okay, and, and, the, and the Israeli state gives, it's giving, 
<laughs> okay, it's not it, it's not compromising, right? It's right. giving, um, a, 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 effectively a gift to our Arab cousins. Okay, um, and they really are our cousins, right? Uh, but to, 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 we're giving a a, a, um, a something that we don't have to give. Now, on the other side, okay, because we're centrist and we really are, and our plan is practical, pragmatic. And we tend to, our group to be um, right of center, but it's, it's definitely in the center. Right? You've got to always look at the other side of the equation if you're going to try to find a real solution. And the other side of the equation it has, and we'll, we'll give it a label, the left, okay? They give it to themselves, but they, if you want to <laughs> give it right. But, the, but call even the, the, the left of center, not the radical left, right? There is an argument, right? There is an argument, and we can't ignore that argument if we're going to try to find a solution. Good. That the other side of the argument is that, okay, you you reclaim your land, right? You have a population. Pick your poison, right? Are you going to allow them to your democracy? Are you going to allow them to vote um, uh, as any democracy would if you're taking over or you're reclaiming your land, right? Or um, are you going to give them their own state? Um, uh, there's other permutations to that, but if we wanted to really boil it down, that's really what you have uh, to to to, uh, to work with. Um, uh, and that is why Israel is working so hard um, uh, to try to find a solution. I didn't agree with, let's say, um, Ehud, um, uh, um, uh, we had Ehud Barak and um, uh, Ehud Olmert um, uh, plans where it was giving up 90 plus percent of the um, of the Palestinian territory, and I'll, and I'll get into sorry the, the Judean the Judean Samaria territory, and I'll get into um, uh, into that as well in a moment. But there's a reason that they that they that they try to make that compromise, right? Because there is an argument on the other side of the equation, but that doesn't work, right? It doesn't work. Why doesn't it work, right? Any nation. Above anything else, above wanting to be a democracy, above being a, wanting to be as free as possible and as loving as possible, has to protect their families, right? They have to protect their children, grandchildren, old women, old people, young people, adults, right? That's the job of any state. First and foremost is to protect the lives of their citizens. Whether you agreed with them or not, um, Arik Sharon um, made a decision, as any, anybody that knows him, who's a bulldozer across the board, made decisions. And uh, in my opinion, it was, it was a, the right decision, but it was a decision that, was, uh, that wasn't carried out properly. It should have been carried over. We've never discussed that. That's great to hear. Right. Okay. I mean, and most people in, in our circle don't agree with me, right? But at the end of the day, um, having, putting the Jewish people in other to begin with, uh, I think, was problematic. Um, uh, and again, not for this discussion. Uh, and once they were there, um, if you wanted to pull them out, you, it should have been over a period of 20 years plus. Again, a whole other discussion, but it ties into our discussion, right? Because Arik Sharon, one of the, his drivers, again, people could say that was truthful or not. I completely believe it was truthful. Um, he wanted to make a statement, right? I'm going to leave because he could have left Aza, Gaza, as the world knows it, and leave the Jewish communities in there. I think it was, don't quote me on that, I think it was less than 10% of Gaza um, uh, land, and I think it was even less, um, you had Jewish settlements on, right? He could have left them. Um, uh, and maybe he should have, right? And maybe he should have done it slower. But 
he made a decision that he wanted to show the world if we leave every inch of Gaza, what right. would happen? Right? Uh, what would happen? Um, uh, and a lot of Jewish lives got, you know, turned upside down and That's really still. destroyed um, yeah. uh, due to that experiment. But that experiment showed the world and showed the Jews. And that's why the support for a two-state solution went from, again, don't quote me on at all, but somewhere I think in the 60s, maybe even high 60% yes. um, to now, again, don't quote me, I think <laughs> somewhere in the 30s or 40%, um, if um, at all, right? Um, and the reason is because of what Arik Sharon did, right? He left every inch of Gaza, of Gaza. And what happened is we got missiles, right? We got yep. thousands. Incorrect. Tens of thousands of missiles um, raining into Israel since we left um, uh, every inch of Gaza, right? And and a few weeks ago, as far away in our, here, where we are, in the Judean mountains. We we had a siren, right? So, actually, my children heard the the, the, the missiles being intercepted in the sky, right? And uh, so, the, but we we have to understand there is an argument on the other side of the well. So, we um, wanted to tackle that, and uh, and we ta- we tackled it in a way that again, not necessarily um, popular on the right um, uh, wing side of uh, the equation, um, but uh, um, Bennett, okay, Prime Minister Bennett, um, uh, before he was Prime Minister, unfortunately he did he uh, he did not pursue it while while he was in in uh, in the seat of power. He promoted a plan which I we, we were thinking about it even before he put it out, but he may, I'm sure it was it was in his mind because it's a it's probably it's actually the most practical solution, right? The practical solution is this: this is our land given to us biblically, but also by the international community. We have this issue where we have to pick our poison, right? Give them the right to vote or give them the state or something akin to a state. I mean, I, 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 maybe it's an autonomy. I mean, again. Not for today's discussion. Quite frankly, our, quite frankly, our plan doesn't even deal with uh, what that entity would be called. Okay, but let's even call it an autonomy, right? A full autonomy. But um, when when you're looking at a solution, it's glaring at us. It's glaring, and and, and anybody that doesn't want to pursue that um, track, I think, is being really um, uh, intellectually lazy, or there's more nefarious things going on. Okay. Wow. Okay, and, and that is something that, as much as I detest the Oslo Accord, especially for the results it created, but it, it created something that's interesting, right? It created very delineated lines um, uh, for all of us to to look into. You have something called Area C, Area A, and Area B. Putting aside Area B, which is mostly roads and some other um, uh, some other um, uh, um, uh, more complicated pieces of land, but you effectively have Area A and C, right? Area C is approximately 68%, uh, you might know Jonathan, but I think a little bit under 70%, 69% um, of Judea and Samaria. Uh, area A and B comprise the rest of it. In Area C, you have, depending on who you ask, anywhere between 85,000 to 185,000 Palestinians um, uh, living um, uh, in Area C. Uh, but the vast majority, the millions and millions of Palestinians live in Area C. Uh, area A. Sorry, Area A. And right? we live in Area C under Israeli autonomy. And that's the distinction is that the vast majority of Israeli communities are in Israeli C. It was a separation. It's a it's an invisible line. Yeah, it's not the vast majority. Every single uh, Jewish 
um, uh, resident lives in Area C without an exception, right? Um, uh, if you don't have an exception, let me know. Maybe it's some uh, some undercover, but I don't think there's any settlements in Area A or B, as far as I uh, as far as I know. Certainly not in Area A. Uh, correct. Good point. Good point. Right. Okay. So now we have a now we have a situation, right? Where sorry about that. Uh, and now we have a situation where we have delineated lines, okay, and we have something called area uh, C, where we could Israel, the Jewish nation, could easily uh, uh, fold that in um, into the technical um, state of Israel, right? Uh, and again, we won't get into technicalities today, but uh, fold it in um, uh, what, what's called annexation, right? There's a, 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 some people don't love the word annexation, but uh, um, but effectively annexation. And uh, um, and now you have a scenario where um, uh, where Palestinian states where Palestinian states um, is uh, um, well, sorry, a, a, the Judea and Samaria um, uh, is part of um, uh, Israel technically, uh, and Area A is to be negotiated, right? Correct. It could be autonomous, it could be a state, it could be something in between. Um, but now we have an actual game plan, right? Where you don't have to give um, uh, millions of people um, uh, that don't exactly love the Jewish, uh, well, the, the Jewish state, let's call it, okay, um, uh, the right to vote, which would be impossible for the Jewish state to do, right? I mean, uh, if you had you know, millions and millions of Palestinians voting in the Israeli, uh, Israeli elections, they're just not functional, right? They would vote the Jewish people out of its state. Uh, right. they, they make no bones about it that's what they're um, right uh, so that's not functional anybody knows that anybody that's you know that that, that really is you know anywhere in the realm of practicality know that's not doable um giving the palestinians a state on all of judea and samaria is not practical at all because we left out gaza and we saw what happened uh, right, right. We, we cannot have we, we cannot have missiles raining down up and down Judea and Samaria into Tel Aviv, into the Bulgarian airport, uh, you know, just up and down the country. I mean, we, we're barely able to handle tens of thousands of missiles coming in from Gaza. We certainly cannot do it in Judea and Samaria. Um, uh, nor nor should we C, have to. Nor do we have to, you know, right? I mean, if, if Area C, which basically surrounds um, uh, the Jewish population of Israel, right, um, is part of Israel, right, by annexing it, um, Area A is further back. It's much smaller, can be controlled, right? Um, and 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 you have a solution, right? Now, you want a solution that everybody agrees to, right? Yeah. In a in a perfect scenario, right? So we have a um, you know, a very well put together plan um, uh, that uh, some of the most uh, uh, thoughtful um, uh, and knowledgeable people. Um, in the world, um, uh, put their eyes on, and uh, um, uh, you know, I, I'm limited to what I could say, but uh, carried conversations with us. Let's put it that way, uh, right? I, I did not leave the room, um, including uh, Dennis Ross uh, and um, and many other um, uh, ambassadors, um, uh, without naming names, ambassadors and uh, uh, um, chief of uh, uh, you know, top people in the in the military and intelligence. Um, really across the board and across various nations, right? Um, uh, put their eyes on it. By the way, I'm very proud of Professor Alman, which won a, 
a, um, a, a Nobel Prize for something called game theory. He ran it through his, I spent many hours with us, uh, ran it through his models, right? And he won a Nobel Prize on this and said, yes, your plan works. Wow. Right? Um, wow. Uh, so, so we've spent hundreds and hundreds of hours um, yes. on the plan and with people, um, yep. uh, hundreds of hours with the, you know, probably the most influential and, and powerful and knowledgeable people in, in the Middle East, uh, or not in the, necessarily in the, in the Middle East, people that advise on the Middle East. Um, and almost to the last one, um, uh, we had people coming out of both reading and um, spending time with us um, saying this is probably the most practical plan they've seen, right? Uh, practical on on uh, on uh, on many levels. So let's get into a little bit of the details, right? But before uh, we do, yep. we're going to take another break and then come back to the practical sure. plan before we begin to wrap up. And I want, I want to remind people of the cliffhanger that I left with the introduction. We got a really special piece of the conversation about the future of Israel to discuss. But first, let's take a quick break. If you're like most people in the world, you know about the Holocaust, but never met, much less interacted with a Holocaust survivor or heard their stories of suffering and survival. With the remaining elderly survivors dying at an unprecedented pace, in less than a generation, there will be none alive. Yet, while they did survive, and for that we need to celebrate them, Many still suffer trauma from their youth. As they age, they have increasing needs. And living on fixed incomes, sometimes with no pension, things as simple and essential as basic foods, heating in the winter, medicine, and inflation can push someone over the line from surviving to struggling again. It can create stress in their lives that reminds them of the suffering they endured as young people. It's just not acceptable that anyone who suffered as much should struggle with basic needs or any undue stress in their twilight years. I want to invite you to join the Genesis 123 Foundation to bless the survivors. Yes, we pray that you'll donate personally and do so generously. And when you do, we also give you the opportunity to send your personal blessings and words of encouragement to the survivors themselves to brighten their day and let them feel your love. Having been privileged to provide financial resources to help survivors on a day-to-day -day basis, I know it makes a difference and is very appreciated. But your personal note that we translate into Hebrew, Russian, or Yiddish really makes them smile and warms their heart. I pray you'll join us by going to genesis123.co slash hug a survivor. That's genesis123.co slash hug a survivor, and please share this with others. We can't undo the suffering that they endured, and there's no limit to what the needs are, but we can never do too much to comfort them in their final years. Please join us. God bless you. Okay, Shlomo, you were about to get into a couple of the really practical elements of the plan. Right. Let's hear. And I, I'm fortunate enough to, that we don't have as much time that I don't have to give up too much because I, I, <laughs> I, I really do have to um, limit it. Um, uh, um, but uh, the um, one of the main issues that we see it right uh, and again, area C, area B, we can ram it down every throw. Quite frankly, President Trump and his administration offered to do that, right? Um, they offered to um, to recognize annexation uh, for a reason that we're not going to get into today. Um, that did not happen. Um, uh, I totally and completely disagree with that decision. 
that, that would have really put the world, the Middle East, Israel, Palestinians on a different footing today. I think a much more positive footing. But again, that, that's water under the bridge right now until um, more people come that really do understand the nuances. Uh, but uh, you have a um, you have to really, in our mind, try to get everybody behind a plan, right? And for the Palestinians, I think um, uh, if you if you really look at um, uh, at uh, and you speak to to them as as we do, I don't have to tell you, Jonathan, we living where we do are constantly Correct. interfacing with Palestinians, Correct. and uh, the vast majority. I mean, I'd say ninety. Five percent plus, really. All they really want is to have a quiet life, right? Um, and, and succeed um, uh, um, uh, um, uh, with their families financially and so on. And uh, financially is what I'd like to boil down to. Um, we could get into a bit, right? And um, our plan calls for five billion dollars um, to come in annually, um, uh, as follows. Uh, and, and by the way, if you kind of look at the, the uh, at the President Trump's administration's push in Morocco and Rabat, um, uh, predating the Abrams Accord, go look, study what the number was. It was $5 billion as well. Oh, okay. I'm limited to, right? But, um, uh, but, but uh, there's, um, uh, there's and, and that's just a number, right? But at the end of the day, to give you an idea, right? Uh, if you, um, you don't want $4 billion, you don't want, you don't, you don't want $10 going into the um, Palestinian Authority tents, right? Um, you have, um, you have a, um, a scenario where um, a good portion, I don't want to say the majority, but it could be the majority, goes into the wrong hands, right? Yeah. Uh, so the, the notion is to take $5 billion a year, a mix coming from, the, from, uh, the, uh, from Israel, U.S., possibly Europe, other nations that they want to contribute, right? But that, and, and by the way, that's a lot less than Israel spending um, uh, you know, in Judea and Samaria today. Wow. Okay. Uh, so, um, so with the, uh, um, the idea is to take $4 billion, right, and build, uh, a high tech support system, right, along the, uh, uh what we call the green line today, right? Yep. It, it would be area, um, area A, effectively, right, along those lines. And, you know, $4 billion a year putting into infrastructure, high tech parks, high tech education. For the Palestinian community would go a very, very, very long way, right? Huge. And, and then Huge. what you have is, you know, Israel, as you know, it, it has a dearth of employees um, at, available for the high-tech community, right? I mean, there's a desperate shortage, um, and especially for the support piece of it, right? I mean, you have a, you have a you, you know, Israel's doing a good job in keeping up with the highest end of engineering, but we call it, you need a support if you really want to create a a sustainable um, economy of technology. And Israel is doing great, right? But it's not, uh, Israel is known to create high-tech um, uh, and te technology and me medical technology, but then selling out, right, to, uh, to, um, to larger companies around the world because they have a hard time really um, having the underlying um, um, uh, uh, employment base to take companies to the next level, um, uh, manufacturing, and anything in between, right? Marketing and so on. Um, and also just the basic uh, technology um, support. So really to get the Palestinian population, area A, which will be whatever we want to call it down the road, right? To be negotiated, right? Um, uh, after we um, uh, annex area C, 
for them to now be extremely uh, um, uh, close to the Israel economy, right? As Israel grows, they grow. Um, we have everybody aligned. They now could, you know, every family, um, uh, well, I wouldn't say every, but a lot of families in the Palestinian um, communities uh, are called hamulas, right? Where they're all together. Right? You have cousins, you have sisters, brothers living right. together, working together and supporting each other. That means every employee that you can bring in and pay them, let's say, I'm just picking a number now, $50,000 once they graduated, let's say a three or six month course, right? In the technology parks we create, right? That $50,000, which could easily be paid, um, goes a long way, goes a long way um, uh, to support a, a much wider Palestinian family. So now you have people that are participating in Israel's success, um, have potentially their own state or autonomous um, area. It's not ideal, okay? No one's saying it is, right? Because it would be a polka dot type of area A, the polka dot situation, right? You have different cities that sure. would be connected by tunnels and roads and so on, but doable, practical. Doable. It wouldn't be the smallest country in the world, by the way. Right? Okay. Go visit Monaco. Go visit other countries. There, there are smaller countries out there. And um, now they would be, they would be, um, they would be. Um, you'd get the grassroots, I think, very much aligned. Because when you talk to the average Palestinian, they just want to be successful. Now we deal with the leadership, right? It's not a small thing. Um, because uh, one of the main issues that we want to tackle in our plan is terrorism, right? We we live with terrorism. Um, now, okay, I, I won't get into the next point. We just don't have the time. But in the end of the day, terrorism also has to be put in perspective. But terrorism is something that has to be dealt with, right? And the only way to deal with terrorism is on the leadership level. A, because occasionally um, you have institutional um, uh, terrorism. I kind of trying to be generous now, Correct. okay? And um, and and if it's not institutional, it's um, it's a lone um, lone terrorist, right? Which um, also don't come in a um, uh, don't come in a vacuum, right? Correct. Um, Alone terrorism that doesn't come in a vacuum. Uh, they are um, they are the byproduct or direct product of the education they're getting and Correct. what they're hearing in their mosque, right? Correct. The only way to change that is, is, is the top leadership, right? So what we're proposing um, is um, uh, is out of that five billion, one billion dollar um, uh, goes towards the Palestinian leadership. But not necessarily on a centralized basis, right? Where you have you know, you have a, a, probably five areas in uh, in Palestinian, uh, it's mostly broken down in cities. Right? It's not as simple as that, but more or less, right? And what you do is you take you you take two hundred million, and you set it aside for discretionary spending. Okay, that does go to their hand. That's a, that's oh, that's bonus money. That's if yeah, you do a good well, job, well, you're going to well, get a well, bonus. Well, Hopefully they do right with their people and they take that 200 million and invest it probably. But that's what that's the way they're getting it now. They're getting it in their own hand, right? Anyway, we're we're right. only just boiling it down. We're taking it away from the centralized and we're giving to the regional, right? And at the end of every year, right? At the end of the, every year, we look at uh, any terrorism that happened. Hopefully it will never happen again. Right. Look at any terrorist attack, the person that, that instigated that terrorist attack $50 million, it could be $25 million. I think our plan called for $25 million, gets knocked off from their $200 million. That's so it's not, it's not collective punishment, it's collective incentivization. Okay, so, so think about it. When, 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 a, when a local leader has $200 million coming to their, um, to their account to, to spend on their people, okay, yeah. we'll leave it at that, 
right? But 25 million gets taken off for every terrorist attack, loan yeah. or otherwise. Um, they are going to be incentivized to change or reduce, uh, reduce the loan to terrorism that comes out of their areas. The only way to do that is to change the textbooks. Again, educational um, system and what, what's said in their educational system and what's what's happened in their mosques right? and what's said in their mosques. And they have full control of that. That's right? correct. So because we're limited in time, wow. I'll leave that for that piece of it, right? I mean, you, you now solve for the issue we talked about before. You have to choose before between giving them the right to vote or giving them their own state. Okay, now we keep area C. They keep area A. They don't love it. We got it. But it's a gift. We don't have to give them anything, right? We're giving them now a gift of area A. They can negotiate with us. Maybe they'll get a state. Maybe they'll get an autonomous area. That's for another day, right? right? Now their people, the grassroots people, are succeeding. The politicians have every incentive, every incentive to reduce terrorism, right? Yeah. And accept this new plan. That would be part of the deal, right? Yeah. You want that two hundred million dollars a year? Yeah. This is the plan. And in talking to the Palestinians, in talking to, that we did sit down with them locally in our own town, by the way, with um, uh, you know, with with, with certain more moderate um, uh, um uh, people. Um, in that community, I'll leave it at that. Uh, that's super sensitive. Um, <laughs> uh, we we talked to regional um, leaders in the in the Arab and Muslim community, and they all rallied. And obviously, people in the American and Jewish community, amazing, um, and they all rallied around this uh, very practical and very real and very economical uh, model. Okay. The other topic, and I'll leave it very quickly. I, I, I don't know how much time we have. But I assume it's pretty minimal. Right, the Temple Mount. The Temple yeah. Mount is the only. Um, uh, issue when it all said and done that non-palestinians would go to war with that's Israel. good point excellent okay? right um they, they might not like some of the ideas that we have uh, you know as related to judea and samaria and some of uh like what we're doing in judea and samaria that that's could be debated and that they might take the other side of that debate but the only thing they would really today go to war for is the temple now and our idea is one where we give them the ability to see with their own eyes, right, that the that we don't want their whole Temple Mount. We don't want the whole Temple Mount, right? Uh, so if you look, and, and this is not only an issue, by the way, for Muslims, it's an issue for the Jewish people today. So when, you, when, when we talk uh, to the leadership in the Jewish uh, world, that was one th thing that, quite frankly, people gave us pushback on because it's just something so ingrained. But if you actually want to get practical and you actually want to find solutions, you gotta you gotta really study the issue, right? The Temple Mount, as we know it today, um, was delineated by Herod, not by King Solomon, right? Um, the actual footprint of the uh, of the temple and the courtyard of the temple was only a fraction of what we know to be the Temple Mount today. It's fascinating. And um, and we need to focus on that piece of land, right? And that piece of land, again, not, probably not, you know, if we have time for it, we we'll get into it later, is not where the Gold Dome is, even though that is what the Jewish tradition says, but it most likely is not. Um, it's certainly not where the Al-Aqsa Mosque is, which is the far, if you're facing, if you're in the, if you're in the Kotel, right, yes. the Western Wall, you're facing, right, to the far right. That's really what they said Muhammad Correct. had his vision. Um, uh, that is uh, not the gold dome, which most people confuse. It's the gray dome. Uh, that 
according to everybody, it was never part of um, uh, the Jewish um, uh, temple, right? right? It's, it's a part of Herod's platform. Um, that's easy to deal with. Uh, the, the gold dome is uh, a little bit of a harder, not only for uh, for the Muslims, but also for, for the Jewish people, right? But it really isn't where the gold dome is. That's we can get into another time, but from our for our group that we, we really studied it scientifically and otherwise, um, uh, there is a piece of land on the Temple Mount, which is clearly where the uh, Solomonic um, uh, Temple was. Um, so if we only have to deal with that piece of land, it makes the whole discussion a lot easier, right? Because now the Al-Aqsa right, yeah. Al is not a discussion point anymore. If I asked you, Jonathan, today, do you want to have a, a, a peace with Saudi Arabia? Sure, of course. Okay. The answer is yes. By the way, that that question was posed for um uh, for the UAE and for Morocco and for um uh, for, for Oman, uh, sorry for um uh, for Bahrain, um and so on, right? Um uh, before the Abrams Accord, when, when yes, we started this whole process, that's right. Trump, right. right? So would we want to have peace with all these countries, right? But now it really boils down to a few others. That, let's say uh, primarily Saudi Arabia. The answer is yes. Would we want them to have an embassy here? The answer is. Yes, I mean, we wouldn't really think they're serious if they didn't have an embassy. Where would we want them to have an embassy? Would we want Jerusalem. them to have in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, right? Okay, so the moment we understand that the Solomonic Temple um, was not where their Al-Aqsa Mosque is, or actually, quite frankly, most of the Temple Mount as we know it today, right? The idea of giving Muslim countries the ability to have a quasi-sovereignty on the Temple Mount, which is to say, well, the Jewish people will never, ever, Take my word for it. Walk away from the Temple Mount again, right? Awesome. From, a, from, a, from from a true sovereign standpoint. But you know, giving a bit—that's what negotiations are—isn't you know isn't a bad idea, right? So we would allow them to build their embassies on the Temple Mount, right? Because that's what we wanted. Because the moment we don't, we we're only focused on the Solomonic part of the Temple Mount, right? Everything else is just Jerusalem. It's Correct. just Jerusalem from a holiness Correct. standpoint, right? Correct. And since you just answered my question that we want them to be in Jerusalem, and they, for their part, would view it as a massive plus to be able to have, you know, a um, semi-sovereignty as an embassy sovereignty Absolutely. on the Al-Aqsa, the Al-Aqsa building itself and some of the surrounding areas, and let each one of them build an embassy there, a beautiful embassy that could have a mosque on it, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I, there's no reason not to the moment it, we don't view it as a, our holy shrine, not, right? Yes. Um, that's a solution, right? You all of a sudden gave them a finger. You gave them a hand, right? And and they see that we don't want their al-Aqsa mosque, right? Because they're, they're willing to die for that. But the moment we tell them that's not what we want, right? Because that, that was Herod's piece of land, right? It was part of Jerusalem. It just regular yeah. Jerusalem. It's yeah. not more holy than any other part of Jerusalem. They get that. Because when we spoke to them, and we spoke to across the region, they understood, yes, Okay, you're telling me that you have, if you built something, you would build it on this piece of land. And again, I won't get into those details so much. In this piece of land, but not in Al-Aqsa? You don't need Al-Aqsa? Yeah. Well, there's something you talk about there. And you're willing to allow me to build an embassy there? Kind of quasi-sovereignty? When this was presented on the parliament uh, floor, it was, it was presented in the UK. I, I didn't know that it was going to be presented by one of the um, one of the lords by one of the lords over there, um, uh, it was presented. They thought he was yeah, he was a right of center um, um, uh, um, 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 member of parliament. People came up to him. People uh, you know that are known to be Arabists, right? Came up to him. They go, "What happened? Have you joined us? 
Have you doing this <laughs> when he presented this, right? Because it sounds like a left-wing plan, right? Yeah. Are you going to give Muslims the right to build um, on the temple, uh, build in the Temple Mount um, embassies? But if you boil it down and you get rid of all the luggage that we all come with, okay, yeah. preconceived notions, and you want to get practical, there are actually very good solutions. So, um, uh, so we'll leave the, leave it at that. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a lot more to go into the into this plan, but. What what I want to impart, okay, yes. to the listeners, is that there are solutions. Yes, and there is a dream we could all have if we have the right political um, uh, decision makers that understand nuances that want to really have peace amongst all of us. Um, th- there are very practical solutions. There is a light at the end of the tunnel on some of this terrorism, yeah. on some of the uh, on some of the main fundamental issues, and, and then we have to tackle the uh, unity part of. Us, the Jewish people, uh, you know, tackling our uh, our unity issues, and uh, uh, that's something that my group and I are very involved with as well. Well, that, that, that's that's going to be for another conversation with your yeah. with your uh, willingness. Um, uh, I, I realized how over ambitious it was of me today to say, "Let's have a conversation with Shlomo Lazar about the future of Israel." And, and hit a broad number of topics. You, we, we've honed in on one super significant one and, and the nuances thereof. Shlomo, um, I'm going to leave a cliffhanger just for a minute. I want to take a break. And then I'm going to come back and discuss with you something that I think in two years of hosting this podcast is probably the most personal. And since people can't see me, but they may hear it in my voice, actually quite emotional. We're going to come back and how, how that relates to the future of Israel as well. I want to pause in the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill, they are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. That's genesis123 dot co slash bless a soldier and when you do you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people please join us okay um the other thing i wanted to say shlomo before we took a break is i will acknowledge that the first time you shared the plan with me it left me uncomfortable for a whole host of reasons, and we've spoken about it. And I know listeners are uncomfortable. They're challenged, and that's good. And I want people to re-listen. And I want people, I want to make sure I say this now, to send questions and comments, and we'll have a, a, a future conversation. But now, you and I are neighbors. I can see your house from, from, from my house uh, upstairs. We joked a few months about for, uh, for, for what we're going to talk about, uh, creating a zip line. The future of Israel which is sort of where we started this conversation is our children and is our grandchildren. And on July 2nd, our children are going to get married together. 
right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Talking about I've never teared up on a podcast before. Um <laughs> your daughter Eliza is so amazing. And what a blessing that she's come into my son Natan's life and vice versa and into our family. And in a couple of days, we're going to be married as part of the Chamula, the, the clan, uh, together. Um, you're the father of the bride. What does that, what does that mean to you? Well, it's, it's very emotional. Um, uh, and, uh, I, my wife and I, the whole family are so excited and honored really to bring our family together with yours, Jonathan. Thank you so much for the, um, Jewish people and connecting them with the Christian world and, uh, just a tremendous um, asset to, to our nation and to be part of your family is uh, a, a real, as we say in Hebrews, a real honor, a real privilege. Um, and uh, super excited for the coming uh, uh, couple of weeks on dancing together on the Judean hills um, uh, I'm at our Jerusalem. Um, I, it's, uh, there's just no words to, uh, uh, to describe uh, our happiness. Uh, and um, one of the things that, uh, you know, I wish and hope and pray our collective grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren, because that's what we're going to have together, um, uh, are blessed with, um, is that um, excitement um, and feeling of uh, honor um, and uh, privilege that uh, we as a first-generation um, uh, first-generation Jews in Israel feel, right? Uh, how excited we are yeah. when we look out our windows yeah. and we see the, the, the land our forefathers um, walked in, prayed in, um, worshipped in. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I know both of us um, have been able to come overcome that human nature of, uh, of just accepting things as, as normal, and we don't, right? Uh, the two of us and many of our friends and many of the people we we know in this country, um, uh, really wake up every morning, pitch ourselves, and love it. And uh, and that's um, that's a challenge, right? Well, when you start going to third and fourth and fifth generation. So um, you know, the, the blessing I'd like to give uh, our collective um, uh, um, progeny is really that they will have the same excitement and feeling of um, of, of um, privilege um, uh, to live in this country, right? To carry on the chain that started thousands of years ago in this yes. country uh, to um, to really get out of that cognitive cognizant uh, dissonance that, that settled on people um, uh, that this is normal right this is not normal right what we are what you and I are looking at our windows on right now coming back after 2,000 years living in a country that has um, so much spirituality in it right that so much um, success both spiritually and economically right we're living not only in this country as such we're living very very comfortably we're living we're living the dream right we're living a quality of life uh that uh, our great great grandparents and our great grandparents couldn't possibly conceive forget dream of they couldn't conceive it they wouldn't ever. have to conceive to dream it, right never ever uh, imagine so that's really the blessing i'd like to give um both the Aliza and Natan, our children, um, and our great-great-grandchildren to come, that uh, that they should really appreciate all that, right? And uh, and realize that this is not a um, this is not a normal situation what we're living through today. And quite frankly, that the love the Christian community has bestowed on us 
right? I'm a, especially the evangelist Christian community, but really almost across the board, the, the, the love that's being showered in us is the miracle in, the, in and of itself, right? And that's something that, you know, I think you and I can appreciate it. Um, I'm not so sure our great, our great grandchildren, I think they'll take it as a given that, yeah, Jews and Christians love each other, right? And um, that was not always the case. Um, and it is a case today for the most part. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And um, uh, and uh, and uh, so the, the blessing back to you, um, Jonathan, is that you should keep on um, doing the great work you're doing, that your, um, your population set of uh, followers only grows because uh, you're doing amazing things. And mazel tov to both of us. Mazel tov to both of us. Shalom Lazar. Um, wanting to have this conversation for a long time, now is the suitable time, and I'm looking forward to celebrating and dancing with you very soon. And and as we say in Hebrew, many more smachot, joyous occasions in our united family. Okay. Um, thank you. Thank you for taking the time today for sharing your tremendous insight. Um, the nuance is important and having the big, the big picture vision. And I'm grateful for you and, and, and uh, you personally and, and, and now as we become family. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, John. I know that we always end our podcasts with a note that we offer a special uh, gift. We ask people to go to the inspiration from Zion social media and like and follow uh, and share this and make comments. And when you do, we follow who's liking and following and commenting. And every month we're picking something uh, something special from uh, from our from my bookshelf from Jonathan's bookshelf. And I want to encourage everyone to continue to like and follow and share inspiration from Zion. I want to acknowledge our sponsors, the the uh, Rillo Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're ever in the area and want to go in and say thank you, thank you to them for helping make conversations like this possible, please do. I know they'll find that meaningful. And special thanks to the Coin family as well. The Inspiration from Zion program and all the Genesis 123 programs are made possible by donations. So please help consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and build bridges. Um, because I'm the host and the father of the groom, and I get to host today the father of the bride. Um, this episode is in sponsor in honor uh, of our children and our shared, uh, our shared celebration this week. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode in honor memory of a loved one or a special occasion of your own, Please be in touch at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We love to hear your questions and comments as part of an ongoing dialogue and invite you to send these to us, especially questions you have about traditional Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this conversation with others who will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and all your loved ones are safe and healthy. And today I will add blessed and share and celebrating your own joyous occasions and send my blessings from right here in the Judean Mountains. God bless you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.